Let's pray. Lord, thank you for another day in our lives. We thank you for the coolness we felt in the air this morning, especially if we got up early. We pray for everyone here today as we leave here, that we would understand the security that comes in a relationship with you, the security of your kingdom. And Lord, when everything may seem like it's falling apart in our lives, you invite us into your unshakable kingdom. Help us to know that truth this morning. We ask this all in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Have you all ever had one of those experiences that left you shaken? Maybe it was a car accident, somebody, a robbery, you came home and found things missing, perhaps a near-death experience. I think most of us, uh, hopefully you haven't had a robbery, but most of us have had one of those experiences in life. Uh, Maybe it was a sickness, something that you were not expecting, an untimely death of a loved one where you felt shaken. I went to Virginia Tech uh, for college, and I remember one uh, time when I felt super shaken. We had a blizzard in northern Virginia, all through the state, really, and uh, I wanted to get back to college. My friends were already coming back, and I decided two days after the blizzard to get, in the, get on the road on my Honda Accord, 1982 Honda Accord, and just go for it. I figured, you know what, I'll be fine. So once I hit Interstate 81, if you're familiar with that at all, I, um, there, there was a lot of snow in the road, and the car was kind of bumping like this, but I was like, I'm fine. So I went from like 40 miles an hour to... Pretty soon I was going 70, and there was no one on the road but me. There was a reason there was no one on the road, right? And so I'm driving, and all of a sudden, like anybody's been in an accident, it's like slow motion. The car just starts doing 360s, one, two. It's probably just two, but it felt like seven, right? And so, and then the car ends up going, I'm backwards on 81, and I am just clutching my uh, hands to the steering wheel, and I'm like, okay, i got to get off the interstate. So I start driving. I'm, then, I, then part of me, my college brain is thinking, uh, not from being a good brain, but being a bad brain, was thinking, well, you know what? Maybe that was just a one-time experience. I'll keep driving, 50, 60. All of a sudden, it starts doing the same thing a second time. This time, I was at least facing the right way. I made it, you know, Olympics would have given me a 10 on this one, but... I was so shaken up, I got a hotel, and I had to stay there for like two days because it got colder, um, it got, the roads got more icy. Uh, but I remember afterwards, for like a month, my jaw just was clenched. I was clenching my teeth at night. I realized later, especially when I got in that hotel and I had a lot of time on my hands, uh, that um, how close that could have been. All of us had times like that, times where we saw our life maybe flash before our eyes. See, there's a lot of things that can shake us, that can knock us off our game, off the routine that we have in life. Last week, I shared with you the Hebrew, uh, the letter of Hebrews chapter 11 and 12, and how the writer of Hebrews was speaking to a, most likely a home church. And these people were shaken in their lives because, because of their new faith in Christ. Oftentimes, they were ostracized by the other Jews, particularly They were ridiculed by the Romans. A lot of them were just saying, you know what? It's not worth it. I'm going to quit. I want to have a normal life. So the writer is encouraging them in the 11th and the 12th chapter to not quit, to stay the course, even when life becomes struggle. And last week, 
I read to you um, right after the faith chapter that Greg preached on at the very last verse is this super cool verse, and it says this. These were all commended. It's talking about the people of faith that it talks about in the 11th chapter, Abraham and all these great people of faith and the people who were persecuted, yet none of them received what had been promised. And it says, God had something better in store. They were needed, we were needed, to make the history of their lives complete. And I told you about a a professor and a pastor, I believe he's retired now, Earl Palmer, who had a great example about how we're invited into God's story of faith when we put our trust in him. It's like all these great faith people were pitchers in a baseball game. And finally their arms started to get tired, and the coach called you from the bullpen and said, you're in now. You count. You need to finish the game. And so it reminded us all that not only have we been called into God's family, his community, this body of Christ, but we're not alone. We're surrounded by this body of Christ, the present, the people of faith in the past. We also had this invisible community of the Father who loves us so much that he sent the Son, and then the Holy Spirit who ministers to us, who keeps whispering in our ear that we count that God loves us to stay the course. And besides telling us uh, that we are surrounded, the writer in the second verse says to travel light. Together we encourage each other to throw off the sin, the things in our lives that slow us down, that entangle us, that cling to us and prevent us from living out the the life that God intended for us so that we can be feet that bring good news rather than being stuck. And then finally, I encouraged uh, you all from the third verse, or the writer encouraged us, and I talked about it. It says, fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer, the one who went before us, and the author of our faith. Together, we encourage each other to continually to fix our eyes on Jesus. And then finally, in the third verse, it says, consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart so that whatever struggles from this community that's encouraging us, that's surrounding us, that's encouraging us to throw off the sin, it's helping us to fix our eyes on Jesus, as we go through tough times, we won't quit. See, that was the intention of the writer. And this morning, he wants these uh, young Christians to know what they're a part of, to know that they're part of an unshakable kingdom. It's not something that's going to be here tomorrow, or here today and fade away tomorrow but it's something that lasts. And today we're going to look at that, these verses towards the end of chapter 12 about God's unshakable kingdom. And the good news is this letter, even though it was written for these early Christians, it's written for you and I today to remind us not only to not quit the faith or to stay on the sidelines, but to remind us that we're part of something that will last, that won't fade away. So the writer uh, begins in the 18th verse to paint a picture of what this unshakable kingdom is about and is not about. And he starts with Mount Sinai as what it is not about. You see, that was the old covenant. He writes these words. You have not come to something that can, that can be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg and not another word be spoke, spoken to them. Remember how Moses could not even look at the burning bush, how the people were terrified 
about what happened there. It says, no, your faith is about Mount Zion. The writer goes on and, uh, and says this. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. See, in the first one, God was distant. Man's sin, women's sin, had pushed, uh, pushed them away from God so they couldn't even see God. But now the new covenant, they use this Mount Zion. You see, Mount Zion is actually the highest place in Jerusalem. But the writer is not talking about that physical, literal place now. He's talking about our heavenly home, about what it is like, about the reality of eternal life for all who believe. And this place is a party. There's festivity. And there's a curious line that says, the firstborn who were enrolled in heaven. You're like, great, is that just for my older brother or my older sister? Our oldest brother or sister? No, you see, firstborn is this. See, Jesus is the one, the pioneer came before us. See, we're all firstborn when we become born again. When we say no to self and yes to what God did on the cross. See, our names are written in that book that says we belong, we count, when we put our trust in Christ. So this place, this picture of what this unshakable kingdom is about, of Mount Zion, is a place where there's hope, where there's relationship, where there's connection. You know, it's curious because Mount Zion was the same place as the Last Supper. That's where it took place right there where Jesus encouraged his disciples. They were a little confused as well, but he said he would send them another. It was the same place where the disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit. It's a place of hope. So that's the first thing in this writing it tells us, that we're invited into this place that is hope. It has relationship not only with God, but relationship with other people are restored and renewed. The second uh, part of what he talks about the uns- uh, this unshakable kingdom is he says this, Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. If you don't know your uh, um, Old Testament stories, Cain, early in Genesis, kills his brother Abel because he got jealous God approaches Abel and said, where's your brother? And he goes, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Basically, it's every man for himself, isn't it? And the consequences of that, a broken relationship with God, a broken relationship with his actual brother, that trajectory went down throughout the Old Testament, and we see what happened from that, the fallout from that relationship broken. This blood brought guilt. It brought shame. Brought hiding. Where Jesus' blood does the opposite. See, Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, he speaks a better word. He comes down from the mountain. Instead of just having some tablets on how to live, he lives with the people. He fleshes out the commandments. He hangs out with people who are in need of a savior, which was everybody. 
And then he does the ultimate sacrifice. He doesn't find a, an animal that's unblemished. The unblemished son dies for our sins so we can have access to God. His blood speaks a better word. Paul writes in Romans about how this cleanses us completely from all our uh, sins. He says, Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? Renewed, restored relationship once again from the blood of Christ. One blood brought shame, brought guilt, brought hiding, denial of that I'm even responsible for my brother. The other one brings the opposite. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. We talked about being born again. You think about Genesis and the creation story. This is a new creation for each and every one of us who puts their trust in Christ, that we have new hope, new life, that our names are written in God's book, that we belong and that we count because of the blood of Christ. The last image that uh, is written in this short passage that we're covering today is that of this unshakable kingdom. And this is kind of where things get a little bit eerie and scary and start sounding more like the old covenant. But there's a reason for that. Let me read. Wait a second, make sure my page numbers are right here. Okay. See that you do not refuse the one who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused the one who warned them on earth, how much less will we escape if we reject the one who warns from heaven? At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heaven. This phrase yet once more indicates the removal of what is shaken that has created things so that what cannot be shaken may remain. So it talks about end times. It talks about how there is going to be a judgment. In Colossians, Paul tells us we'd be foolish to walk away from the gift that Christ offers us. So there is the warning to not take this lightly, to not say, you know what, I'll do this another day. I'll start living for Christ maybe when I'm older. Now is the time. And then it goes on and says, therefore we are receiving, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, we stand in awe. Receive it. Remember, when Christ was on the cro cross, he was shaken for our sins. Rocks were broken. A curtain was literally torn in two. But then three days later, Christ rises from the dead. He remains our faith is in a risen Savior, not somebody who just died for us and then we never heard from again. He saves us completely from our sins. It says right here, let us give thanks by which we offer to God an acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for indeed our God is a consuming fire. On the cross, he conquered sin so that we could have a relationship with God. He reversed the curse. If you're a Red Sox fan, you kind of know what that's about, but <laughs> this was a permanent thing. 
So our response is to stand in awe of that. Our lives should never be the same. This shouldn't be something that we say, oh yeah, I kind of have this faith thing that I dabble in once in a while. It changes everything. So we stand in awe with gratitude, with thanksgiving for what Christ has done. So the question for us all as we get this picture of this unshakable kingdom is what are you going to do about it today? And I always have to ask this question after several times I preach, but I want to kind of flesh this out in light of this passage. For you, is God more like that God of Sinai where he's distant? Or you know the knowable God, the God of Mount Zion who sent Christ to die for your sins? Do you understand the blood of Christ that gives us access to this kingdom? Or perhaps you're still living in guilt and shame like the blood of Abel. And finally, do you understand that this kingdom that you're being invited into, that the coach has called you into the game, do you understand that's a kingdom that cannot be shaken? No matter what you're going through, you can have security in Christ in this unpredictable and sometimes chaotic world. So I I say this once again, for you who are not sure of this morning, you can be sure of this. Craig mentioned this a few weeks ago before he left for vacation. You can know this for sure. And it comes by this, by admitting that you can't do life on your own, believing in the one that God sent, Jesus Christ, that his blood has saved you, and submitting. I don't like to use the word committing because that puts it all on you. Submitting is like, I can't do this. I need your help, your life to him, and doing it every day. You see, we as a church, not just you, but us together, have a responsibility to represent God's unshakable kingdom. And we need to ask our question too, in what we do in our lives collectively and as we live out, are we showing the God of Zion, the God that brings people into relationship? Are we more about the God who is distant? Because the new covenant, we're all in the new covenant now, God has come down. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to live among us. And that's good news for everybody. And that's a message that needs to be shared. In our church, does Jesus Christ's blood, where grace has the final word, speak louder than Abel's word, Abel's blood, where despair and no hope ruled? I hope that we are sharing the grace that comes from Christ's blood. And we're sharing that with those that maybe have hurt us. It says in Ephesians, Paul writes, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one can boast. Theologian Karl Barth was so uh, taken up in this idea that God forgave him that when uh, he was reading through the creed as he was studying one day, he got caught up in the fact that we acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins, that this forgiveness was even possible that God is before me, God on behalf of me. And it changed him as he wrote. And what he said is like, this knowledge is not a passive knowledge. It changes the way you act. It changes the way you live life on this side of heaven. It doesn't bring us to a passive Christianity. 
A matter of fact, the blood of Christ that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel, rather than saying, am I my brother's keeper? It says, I am my brother and sister's keeper. Because of what Christ did for me, I can't help but share this love to other people. Yesterday, we had this awesome thing at church in the morning. And I don't like to use the word awesome too much because my British friends say, you overuse that word. It's got to be really big in order to say awesome. But it was big. There was 160 people that came to celebrate what's been going on at the prison in Allendale. But all these volunteers that are sharing uh, the hope they have in Christ, they're sharing life skills to help these people when they get out of prison, that they can uh, not only know the freedom of Christ inside of it, but, but live into that freedom as they get out. And it was incredible. You see, that's an example of knowing that I am my brother's keeper. I am my sister's keeper. We've had mission trips overseas, Greg in Africa, the trips that I got to be a part of in Dominican Republic and Honduras, where we get to share this message that I am my brother's keeper. And then we have right here, the folks here that visit people in hospitals, that care for your neighbors, that invite people over for dinner. See, all of this is living out this unshakable kingdom, that people matter. So we, have, as a church, have a big responsibility. So, in light of this, I want us to think about a few things that are about to happen here in a few minutes. You see, we're about to uh, come here and have communion. And communion is a great way for us to remind of things that are unshakable. First of all, before you come to communion, if you went through confirmation class or you remember, uh, we do the confession. And it's a reminder that if we don't have things right with our brothers or sisters, we really shouldn't take communion. Because God loves us so much, he's not as concerned about us. It's not a salvation issue if you miss a Sunday. He wants us to uh, seek forgiveness and seek reconciliation with everybody around us. So we'll be part of that. We'll have a chance to confess our sins. And then when we come up here and share this meal together, we'll realize that, yeah, the, the wafer's not very filling, correct? But it's a reminder for us that not only does God invite us to his table, but that we need to invite other people for dinner, to eat, those simple things in life, that we build relationships with others. See, because we are forgiven, we can't help but share this message to everyone. And finally, today is the Sabbath. And uh, some of us forget that means that today is a day to rest and to relax, to rejuvenate. But it's also a reminder, too, that the unshakable kingdom, when we've lived our life, no matter how long we live, that we have the real hope of eternal life for a kingdom that will not fall apart. So we're about to do some things here in this service that are going to remind us about God's unshakable kingdom. So as we leave here today, I wanted to conclude with a verse in Scripture to remind us of God's unshakable kingdom and then a few lines to a lyrics in a song. Paul writes, Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors, through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any power, nor any powers, 
in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jim Elliott, the missionary who uh, was martyred as he tried to uh, uh, share Christ with this primitive tribe in South America, six years before his death, he said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. See, death does not have the final word in our lives. We are more than conquerors through what Christ has done for us. It's an unshakable fact for us who put our trust in Christ. There's a great song by Jesus Culture, and I'm going to read you just a a couple lines. It says, Higher than the mountains that I face, stronger than the powers of the grave, constant through the trials and the change, one thing remains, this one thing remains. Your love never fails and never gives out, It never runs out on me. This is the unshakable kingdom that we are invited into. This is the unshakable kingdom that we are charged to live out those values to a world that is often shaken. We have people this morning that have been shaken by all kinds of things, by illnesses, by uh, setbacks in their life. We as a kingdom, we as a community, a body of Christ, need to continually to remind each other that one thing remains, the love of Christ and our hope of salvation, the real hope. Let's not only share that with each other, let's go out and bring this world that's often shaken, this real hope that we have in Christ. Let us pray. Lord, thank you this morning for your unshakable kingdom. All of us need to be reminded of this in this temporary world, that one thing remains, And that is what you've done on the cross. That we can have access into a relationship with you. That our names can be written on your book of life. Lord, help us to remember that we belong and that we count when we put our faith in you. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.